Grace and peace be with you in our Savior Jesus' name. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. For many of us, this is a well-known Bible passage. We might call it a proof passage about Satan's work. But it's also a strikingly vivid image in this passage. For someone who grew up with their favorite animal being a lion, I always kind of cringed when I read this verse, thinking about Satan operating against my faith in that very same fashion. Many of us know this passage, but do you know its context surrounding it? Do you know what Peter was talking about when he warned about Satan in this way? Obviously, it's part of our sermon text, and as we read our entire text, you'll see. But at first glance, without prior knowledge, many people have no idea why this passage is given or in what context it's given. Many would assume the context is about some horrible sin, maybe murder or stealing or adultery, one of those big sins in the Bible. But that's not it. Perhaps the context is about the snare and temptation of money and riches. The Bible has a lot to say about that. The Bible warns about that a lot. We know that can really damage our lives and especially our faith. Perhaps it's about that. But that's not the context. Or maybe we might think that the context is about demon possession. We know that comes up in the Bible. Jesus cast out demons in people. But that's not it either. The context of this passage, this vivid warning about Satan's work, is not about something out in the world. It's not about unbelievers. It's not about sinners. It's something more unexpected. The context is about the church. In this section, Peter is speaking to Christians about their roles in the church first to the pastor and then to the member. Why in this context, given to Christians, given to the body of believers, given to those who are clothed with Christ, who are safe in His grace, why would Peter give such a direct warning about the work of the devil? Well, we seek to answer that question as we study this text before us this morning as we read it here from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, 
because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Why would Peter give such an explicit warning about the devil to the church? Unfortunately, that question is a lot simpler to answer than we might expect. The reason is because a great deal of harm can be done to a person's faith through the church. Yes, you heard that correctly. Harm can be done through the church. Of course, when this kind of thing happens, it's not from God. It's not God's plan. It's not God's design for the church. Rather, it's a reminder that sin affects everyone. Even Christians, even believers are affected by sin just as much as anyone else. And that will affect the church. Indeed, sometimes the greatest dangers to a person's faith can come through the organized church. And therefore, Peter's warning is spot on. It should also be said that as Christians, we don't have to get defensive about this. We don't have to shy away from this reality when we realize it or when we confront it in the world. We can agree with Peter here. Great care must be taken in how we function as a body of believers in the church. Church is important and necessary to faith. We, we can't give up on it because of this reality. God tells us that in many other parts of his word, probably most directly in the third commandment. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God's speaking to us that it's his command for our lives, that we be around his word regularly, that we receive it regularly, that we don't just run from it and have no organization to our faith. But we must also be equally honest and aware about the dangers associated with how the church can negatively affect a person's faith. The reality of the church being both a blessing and a curse exists because of how God designed the church in some part. One of the reasons we function as a church is that God has given us responsibility and the privilege to use his word. From the Catechism, we call this the Office of the Keys, and it's astounding what God has given us in this teaching. The Office of the Keys shows us that every believer, not just the pastor, has the right and privilege to speak on behalf of God's Word. This right leads to the proclamation of forgiveness when we use the gospel message of Jesus, but also leads to the proclamation of judgment when we use the law. When we realize the privilege and responsibility that God has given us in this task, we also realize how powerful and effective it is in a person's life. And that effectiveness can be used as a blessing for somebody, but it can also be used as a danger against them. As Christians, we need to take this responsibility seriously. And all too often, unfortunately, 
this great privilege that's given to us to speak God's word is used as a platform for our own desires and opinions and not for what God actually says. And as a result, God's name and reputation are tarnished in people's eyes and people's faith are weakened and diminished and the church becomes a danger. As Peter offers this warning, he naturally divides it into pastors and members. To pastors, Peter writes, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Peter's words to pastors are focused on leadership. Many people, even Christians who have been in the church their entire lives, tend to look at pastors as the sole form of ministry in the church. The only person who's allowed to say anything about God's word. This seems logical on the surface, especially to the casual observer of the church, because the pastor's the one up here talking. The pastor's role is to teach and preach. The pastor is usually the one that is the vocal mouthpiece of the congregation. But that doesn't mean that pastors have an exclusive claim to the Word of God. In fact, pastors only have their role in the church because the members have given him that role. And God's message is that the power, the responsibility, the authority in the church is really vested in you as a congregation. The pastor is simply the, the public face of that. And as we think about the teaching of the office of the keys that God has given to each and every believer, we realize that you need to be active in proclaiming the word of God just as much as the pastor. God's focus for the pastor is leadership. This is why the primary temptation for the pastor is to lord it over the flock, as Peter describes the book of Hebrews instructs church members to obey their leaders for they watch out for your souls. Peter still calls pastors overseers. So it's not that pastors shouldn't have any authority, but Peter says, don't lord that over the congregation. Don't use that authority, that privilege you've been given by God for dishonest gain. The distinction that Peter highlights is really summarized in the fact that the pastor is to imitate Christ. This is why in verse 4, after calling pastors shepherds, Peter refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd. Jesus is the model for all pastors. And Jesus had leadership and authority on earth, but you notice when you look at his life, when you look at what he taught, he exerted that authority through the perspective of his love, compassion, and patience for all people. Jesus' leadership was also centered and grounded firmly on the truth of his word. And that is what pastors are to imitate. The leadership that pastors are to have should be done in the perspective of God's grace through Jesus Christ. It should be centered firmly on the truth of God's word. And anywhere where faithful pastors preach and teach, these qualities will be shown. But why does it matter that 
you hear this? If God addresses pastors here, shouldn't I be preaching to pastors, not you? Well, it matters to you because as members of God's house, as members of his church, what God says to pastors also affects how you view and treat your pastor. And more important than the person itself who's here in this role is the office of the ministry that God has entrusted to you. You have chosen to give that responsibility to me these past years to be the public representative of your congregation, but the authority of that ministry remains yours as you seek to give it to someone else. While you as members may not always like the pastor as a person, you may not always fit with his personality or his teaching or preaching style, God still expects you to respect the office that is held, the office that you are responsible for. This is because that office of the ministry, regardless of the person, regardless of the personality, regardless of the style, is to reflect God. It is given to you to communicate God's truth enduring in your church. And this leads us to Peter's warning for you as members of the church. He continues in verses 5 and 6, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. When Peter talks about younger people, he's not talking about age. He's talking about Christians that are immature and inexperienced in the faith. Christians that needed to learn what it meant to be a member of God's house. And the emphasis that Peter gives is on obedience and humility. This is not because only the pastor's voice matters or that everything the pastor says is correct, or that every leader in the church is always going to do the right thing and you just need to obey at all times. Remember that the authority of the congregation is given to you as members. But the call for obedience and humility is given to you as church members because these are the qualities associated with listening to and receiving God's word. Therefore, Peter instructs, submit to the leaders of the church. Submit to one another. Be clothed with humility. Much like last weekend where we saw the Apostle Paul telling us to be clothed with the armor of God so that we can resist the attacks of Satan, Peter here tells us to be clothed with humility so that we can create an environment in which the word of God can prosper. Whether you're a long-standing member here, whether you're a visitor or unfamiliar with our worship, you can tell that our church is not about entertainment. Our church is not about evoking feeling. Our church feels very old-fashioned in that way. Our church is very countercultural in that way. One of the reasons we retain that is to create an environment that people can listen in so that people can receive the Word of God. 
Now, that's what we do here on Sunday mornings in our worship style. But God now extends that to your life and your operation as members of the church and says, be clothed with humility. Submit to one another. And the goal is that you would have an environment to receive the word of God. When humility and obedience suffer in the church, pride and division take their place. And they choke off the simple message of salvation in Christ. This happens most often when we allow our personal opinions and goals to take precedent over God's word. And we all know whether member, non-member, pastor, regular member, long-standing Christian, new Christian, we all know how easy it is to let our opinions get a hold of us. One example that happens in the church is when members get upset that people don't see how much they do or that people take for granted everything they do around the church. I can promise you that if you're active in the church and you're doing things around the church, you're most likely going to be doing it when no one else is around to see it. That can foster the opinion of discontentment in the Lord's work. Another example that can happen is when members reject their pastor as a person, getting upset because they don't like his personality or his preaching style, rather than thinking about the word that is proclaimed. Still yet another example that can happen all too often in the church is when we allow backbiting or gossip to take control of how we interact with one another rather than lovingly and respectfully going to one another when there's an issue. There's certainly no limit to the dangers within the church that can affect our faith or other people's faith negatively, but they all come back to what Peter highlights, pride. In his ministry, Jesus taught a valuable lesson to both leaders and listeners in the church. When there was infighting among the disciples about who would be greatest in God's kingdom, Jesus instructed, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great, let him be your servant. A servant attitude that emphasizes obedience and humility, keeps the word of God as the focus of the church. And when the word of God is the focus of the church, the pipeline of God's grace and forgiveness through Jesus is open for all to receive. When we consider these topics, it can induce great fear and uncertainty in our lives. We desire to serve God as we should, but that responsibility is great. That responsibility rests heavy on our shoulders, and we know there can be great and far-reaching consequences if we do not do our job as God wants us to. We feel inadequate because we're imperfect sinners. And even simple mistakes in the context of church can have drastic consequences for someone's faith. We feel so inefficient in so many areas of life 
How can we possibly think about taking up the mantle of God's word and being effective through it? Just as there are no shortage of dangers to our faith, there's no shortage of fear either. But God knows. Jesus knows. Jesus knows what this is like more than you can even understand or comprehend. Jesus wrestled with the same struggles living in this sinful world in our place. You might think that he was God and he was above it all, but actually the Bible tells us he went through every single thing the exact same way you do. Jesus knew how difficult it was to hold firm and steadfast in God's word and to resist the temptations that Satan threw his way. He faced down the same temptations to give in to pride and self-service from the hands of the devil even more intensely than any of us have. Jesus knows. And that's why he knows what you'll be up against as you think about your job in the church. And so Peter says, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And that's why Peter ends with this promise and blessing from God. May the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Jesus calms our fears. Jesus fixes our mistakes. Jesus strengthens our weaknesses. Jesus works through you and me. As surprising as that may be, as seemingly unrealistic as that could be, it happens. Just as our time here on this earth may seem to be so long and enduring and difficult and full of trials and heartache and struggle, Peter reminds us it's only for a while. The same thing holds true in the church. The church may at times hurt a person's faith in how it operates. The church may be full of dangers that we have to be aware of, that we have to take seriously. But there is nothing that can match the love and grace of God that is communicated in his church. No other thing in life is like that. And this is why the church endures. It's not about our work. It's not about our skill. It's certainly not about a pastor's preaching style or personality. It's because Jesus works through us. Jesus leads and equips us to share his word. But more importantly, Jesus raises us up. Jesus calms us. Jesus strengthens us. Jesus sustains us when we fall. We can cast all our worries, cares, fears, and mistakes upon Jesus because he cares for us. That's really what it's all about. And with that truth firmly in your heart and on your lips, God will work through you. Amen. Please rise.